welcome uh, to River Ridge. Uh, if you are a Bengals fan, welcome especially to you. So I grew up in Cincinnati uh, my whole life, so I've been a Bengals fan on and off when they win. Uh, so welcome. Um, if you are a Rams fan, there's a lot of other good churches in town. Maybe you could find one this morning. Uh, that'd be fine with me. But, you know, the, so this morning the message is that you can look in your um, outline, but it's, it's about what is the characteristics of God. And I was thinking about doing this for the characteristics of God, that God is big, extravagant, near, amazing, loving, and sovereign. And the graphic would look like this. Would look like this. Would look like this. There we go. Right, so we get, that would be, you know, we could talk about God as those things. Or, and then at the end, I was, I was thinking like at the end of the message, we could talk about the devil, right? And what are the characteristics of, of the devil? He roams like a lion, he's a jerk, he's manipulative, and he's Satan himself. Wouldn't that be a good, I mean, that's, that's, instead I decided to not do that and stick with what God told me to do. So, hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, and I got just what a wonderful time it was to worship, um, and just to understand what it means to be set free of who we are in Christ, and who you are as our Father. And God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would drive those things home, Lord, that we would understand us, and that we would understand you, and that that would lead to the freedom that you want us to have, Lord. Help us to see the things that you want us to see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul wrote to uh, a group of churches in an area, a region called Galatia. And the book is called Galatians. And it says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This verse talks about, we'll keep it up there for a moment, because I want us to let this kind of sink in for us. That Jesus came to set us free from the yoke of slavery. Now, a yoke was something that was put on an oxen or a donkey or a cow, uh, and that was used to, to plow the fields. But it was this yoke that was used to guide or control where the oxen or the donkey would go. And so, as Paul writes this, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, because Christ has set us free. There's this recognition that all of us have these yokes to these different things. We are yoked to different types of slavery. In other words, there are things that we are slaves to that control us or influence us that keep us from experiencing the freedom that God wants us to have. It could be slavery to an addiction. And God came to set you free from that. Jesus came to set you free from that. It could be the yoke of anxiety, that we just suffer from anxiety beyond like the normal worries of life, that the anxiety is a yoke upon us. It could be that we're slaves to other people. We're always concerned. What are other people going to think? What are other people going to do? How are they going to react to what I do and what I think and what I say? We're trying to please other people. We could be a yoke. The yoke of slavery could be the yoke of pleasure. That we're always trying to get that next high, that next thrill, that next big thing, that next accomplishment, that next whatever it is that we think is going to bring us pleasure. Or it could be that you're yoked to depression and you just struggle with that. And some days you struggle to get out of bed and you're having that whole thing and it's just, it's a yoke that is upon you. 
And so what this series is about is breaking free of those things. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Last week, if you were here, my friend Seth Broadhurst came down from Fairmont and gave the opening message of this series. And he read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And basically, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he said to them, Look, this is the issues that's keeping you back from being who God wants you to be and who God made you to be. You've got this issue of jealousy and strife. And then we take those two words out. Instead, we put two blanks there. And we read, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is still blank and blank among you, are you not behaving in a human way? And so we ask the question, we say, What would we put in those blanks? What would you put in those blanks. Maybe you put one thing or two things or a couple of things. But what are the things that are holding you back from experiencing the freedom that God wants you to have, the life that God wants you to live? And so Seth talked last week. He said, for him, he said, I would put the word perfectionism. That Christ has set me free from perfectionism. Right? For me, I looked at that and I said, for a while there is still comparison and people-pleasing. That's what I would put in those blanks, that God is freeing me from that. So the question, though, is how do we do that? Or more accurately, how does God do that? How does God set us free from the yoke of slavery, the things that keep us down to give us this life of freedom? And there are a couple of major components that we'll talk about through the course of this series. So last week, we talked about how being set free means understanding our identity in Christ, understanding who it is that God made us to be and what it is that God says about us. And then this morning we're going to turn and we're going to look at God. And part of being set free, a big part of being set free, is understanding who God is and who God really is. And I think often in life we have distorted views from different places about who God is. Maybe because of how we grew up, or maybe somebody said something, or whatever. with these distorted images. But if we can understand who God actually is, that's a big part of us being set free. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And then next week, we're going to talk about the lies that we believe. There's different lies and deceptions and distortions and sort of half-truths that we believe, and that leads us away from a life of freedom. And so if we can figure out and identify those lies, then that moves us towards being set free. Now, we could carry this series on for weeks or if not months on end, but instead what we decided to do is we're going to offer a a class that Jay Teodoro is going to teach. It's called Freedom in Christ Discipleship Series. It's going to be a life group, just a a short-term life group. It's going to meet for about 10 weeks uh, on Tuesday nights. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, you can sign up on the Riverage website. Uh, Like I said, Jay's leading that. I'm going to be a part of that class because I'm excited to kind of work this through in a kind of a full and deeper way. I want to encourage you to be a part of that and to sign up for that. This morning, to help us to see who God is and also to see who God is not, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to turn there. Turn your Bible, or if you've got a phone app, if you don't have any of that, it'll be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 all of this morning. 
And as you hear Luke 15, that may sound familiar. Like, isn't there something big there? And there is. That's the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but this morning, whether that's familiar to you or unfamiliar to you, we're going to look not at the, the son that we kind of usually focus on in that, in that parable, but we're going to look a lot at the father, and then we're going to look a lot at the older son, kind of the forgotten son in this parable. That's going to be our focus. So this is beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. Said, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, that's the father, divided his property between them. And so the typical split is the oldest son in any family would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and then a younger son, if there were two, would only get one-third of the inheritance. And so the younger son is coming to the father saying, Can I have my inheritance? And it's really kind of a statement about his relationship with his father. He's basically saying one of two things. He's saying, I wish you were dead. Can I have my money now? Which is not a good thing. Or he's saying, you're pretty much dead to me, so can I have the money that I would get when you die? Well, the father in this story says this. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And so he took all of his money and he left, basically because he felt like the money was more important than his relationship with his father. He says, I just want the money. I don't want you. I just want the money. He says he went and he squandered his, the money in wild or reckless living. And I would imagine that in that day, the same as in this day and age, that squandering your money in a very short time looks pretty much the same. Drinking a lot, eating well, paying for sex, spending money, attracting friends, gambling, buying stuff, getting an entourage. It's all of those types of things that he did, the same as happens today in reckless living, when we were running far and fast from God. And it says this. It says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he didn't expect this, that there was a great famine that hit that sent him down, 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 down. And it says that he was so hungry, he got a job feeding pigs, which was kind of an embarrassment for a young Jewish boy. But he got a job feeding pigs, but he was so hungry. This is, think about this, he was so hungry that he was jealous of what the pigs were eating. Like, these pigs are eating better than me. And so he makes a decision. He says, but he came to himself, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So it says that he, he kind of came to his senses. He recognized that even the servants on his father's farm were eating better and doing better than he did. And so he, he begins to kind of, you can kind of picture him walking back to the farm, and he's rehearsing this speech 
in his head. And they say, you know, I have sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and, and would you take me back? And he, and he kind of rehearses that, you know, I blew it, Dad, but, but can I work for you? I know that I haven't done well enough, but, but could I, I, I can never be your son again, but could I at least you know, live in the servant's quarters? And you can picture him rehearsing that in his mind as he walks back to his farm, to his father. Now, over the next several verses, we're going to see the character of the father, but we're also going to see the mischaracterization of the older son. Okay, this is the younger son we're talking about, the older son. But there's something that the younger son says here that I want us to key on. He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Okay? This is the bottom line of what we're going to learn about God this morning. Is that God is a father, not a foreman. That God is a father, not a foreman. And so as we look at the view of God that's portrayed by the father in this, as we look at how the, the younger son and the older son um, interact with him, we're going to see that God is a father and not a foreman. So it says this in verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It says that he was a long way off. Right, so as he's out there, and we don't know how long he'd been gone, maybe two months, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe three or four or five years, we don't know. But it says that the father saw him, and he was a long way off. And it says that he ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. You know, and I want to say this. If you've been running from God in your life, whether you've been running for a couple of months or a couple of years and you found yourself here this morning or watching this morning online, God embraces you. If you've been running from God and whenever you return, God embraces you and welcomes you back. But look at the attitude, look at the characteristic of the Father. It says in verse 20, it says, and he felt compassion. You know, there was a lot of other things that could have gone through his mind. He could have felt anger because he took a third of the estate. He could have had an I told you so sort of attitude. I told you you shouldn't have done that. I told you you should have stayed here. He could have given him a long lecture, but he doesn't do any of those things. He greets him and welcomes him back with compassion. So God's a father and not a foreman, and so he is compassionate. That our Heavenly Father is compassionate towards us. You know, when you think about a foreman or you think about a boss, a foreman wants to get everything that he can out of his workers. And a foreman, a typical foreman, doesn't really care about the work. He doesn't care if you produce or if you produce or somebody else produces. He just needs production out of his crew to get the building built, to get the electrical stuff inspected or put in or or whatever it is to get the, the firm. I mean, whatever it is, The foreman wants the productivity out of the people who are there. But God wants from us, not productivity, but he wants us. He's not a boss who has to have his results. He sets us free from that. And the thing is that I think sometimes what we do is we project an image on God that we take from somewhere else. 
And so if you, growing up, if you had a father who had really high expectations of you that were pretty much unmeetable, he wanted you to get certain grades, he wanted you to perform a certain way on the athletic field or on the court or whatever sport you played, or maybe your parents said, you have to project this image of our family, and when you do that, it reflects poorly on us. We sometimes project that image of our own earthly father our own earthly parents, on God. But we read this story and we say, no, God is a God of compassion. That he sees you in your pain. He understands your weakness. He sees you as a whole person, not just as somebody who can produce. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says that if we as people don't proclaim the gospel, that he could have the rocks cry out. That does God want us to be a part of what he's doing and have a plan for our lives and to be with him and all of that stuff? Yes. But does he need us? No. He chooses and wants us and he wants us to choose to participate with him. But he is not a taskmaster father like that image that some of us have. Then he continues on, verse 21. It says, and he said, it says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. I want to pause right there. So the, the son begins his rehearsal speech, and you can read what he says in verse 21. Compare that to a couple verses earlier. And the father doesn't let him. He has this speech rehearsed in his brain, in his mind, and he begins to get it out. But the father interrupts him, and he doesn't let him. He says, no, 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 stop, 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 just Stop right there. It says to the servant, bring the best robe in the whole house and put it on him. Now, what would be the best robe in the whole house? It would be the robe that belongs to the father. It wouldn't be a servant's robe. It wouldn't be the other son's robe. It wouldn't be, you know, hey, we've got this guest room of nice robes. It would be the father's robe. He says, I want you to bring it to him and put it on him. And here's what we see in that is the Father, he forgives immediately. He forgives immediately. That's the characteristic of a father and not a foreman, that he forgives immediately. And the same is true of God's relationship with you, is that God forgives you immediately. And you know, when it's a foreman and you mess up at work, you get dropped down to the bottom. You get the worst projects. You get the whatever it is. You get, kind of get the bad territory. You get knocked down to the bottom. And then you've got to what? You've got to earn your way back in to the good graces of the foreman or the boss. And you all probably had a boss like that where you did something wrong. Big mistake, small mistake. You got knocked down to the bottom. You got to earn your way back in. But that's not the way that God is. Is that God forgives immediately because he's a father and not a foreman. He continues. He says, put the best robe on him. And then it says this. He says, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and, let, and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. And so the father brings these different things and says, bring this, bring that to the son. Because it was a celebration. The ring 
represents the authority. It was a signet ring that had the family seal on it. And then whenever you would sign a document, you would press that into the wax to show that it was an authentic signature. He says, I want you to bring that to him. He says, I want you to bring him sandals. Okay, and, uh, sandals or shoes. And that was, again, a sign of being a son. Because if you were a son... A child, you could walk around with shoes in the house, but the servants always had to take their sandals off or their shoes off and leave them outside the door and walk in the house. He was accepted fully as a son. And then he says, bring the fattened calf. That shows the heart of the father. He says, we're going to celebrate. We're going to take this calf that we've been setting aside and we're going to bring it and we're going to celebrate it with the son. All of these things point to the same thing, that God restores us fully. Because God is a father and not a foreman. He restores us fully. And I want you to know this morning and to understand this morning that you are fully loved. That you are fully accepted. That you are fully forgiven. Because you've got the robe and the ring and the sandals and God throws a party for you every day because you are his son or you are his daughter. We've been talking a lot this morning about the true character of the Father. I want to take a little bit of a turn and look at the older son and what was his view. Beginning in verse 25. It says, Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your father has come. Excuse me, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. Now the older son, he hears the party going on. The servant says, your younger son, your, I'm assuming your younger brother is back. And you would kind of expect the older son to go, that's awesome. I didn't know where he was. Maybe he was dead. Maybe he was lost. Maybe he was, I didn't know where he was. I'm so excited that he's back. Throw a steak on the grill for me. I'm going to join in the party. That's what you would expect, but that's not his reaction. This is his reaction. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. In your Bible, underline these words or highlight these words from verse 29. He says, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your commandment. I want to underline that because that is, illustrates the view that the older son had of the father. He says, all of these years, I have served you. I have slaved away. I have harvested the fields. I have planted the fields. I have sharpened the plow. I have helped with the horses. I have helped with the donkeys. All of this, I have done everything that you have wanted. I have never even disobeyed one of your commands. And you, dad, didn't even give me a goat. Like not even a goat did I get from you. <clears throat> and you kill the fattened calf for this younger son 
for my younger brother who ran away, <clears throat> excuse me, and squandered all of the wealth in this wild and reckless living. He was upset with his father. That's what happens in the parable. But we take that out of parable form, and some of us, maybe a lot of us, are a lot like the older son. And that's our view of God. We go, God, I have been working hard for you. I've been going to church. I've been giving money. I've been going to Bible study. I've been serving with kids. I've been doing all this stuff. I've been following all the rules. And then somebody becomes a Christian. Everybody's like, woo! And I've been kind of slugging it out this whole time. And I don't get anything. No recognition. No accolades. No nothing from you. What's the point? You know, this parable is called the parable of the prodigal son. Or sometimes it's called the parable of the lost son. Because we've got this son who leaves and then he comes back. He's a prodigal. He goes and he comes back. But the story is really the story of two sons. That the younger son was lost in one way. He, he left and was lost. But the older son was lost in his own way. Because he had a wrong and distorted view of God. That he didn't realize that God, that his father, wanted a relationship with him. But he was just bitter and angry because he didn't understand the relationship side of things. So the father goes to the younger, excuse me, goes to the older son and says, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is now found. You see, he didn't have a right view of his father. He had a distorted view of his father. He thought of his father as a foreman and not as a father. What he didn't recognize is that his father just wanted him to be with him. It wasn't that he worked hard, he slaved away, he obeyed all this stuff. His father just wanted him, the son, to be with him. And the same is true of us and God. That God is not a, excuse me, that God is a father, not a foreman. And God wants to be with us. That that's what God wants. He just wants to be with you, in relationship with you, in relationship with me. I have read this parable probably 50 times. I have given sermons on this or led Bible studies on this probably a dozen times or more. I have sat in Bible studies or sermons or heard on this probably a dozen times. And this week I saw something new in this parable that I had never seen before. And I just want to share it with you because it speaks to those of us who have this older son kind of syndrome where we feel like, man, I'm kind of slaving away for God, and it's just about obedience, and we kind of miss the relationship. Because there's something in here for us that, I, again, I haven't seen this in all the times that I've read on it, heard about it, or taught on it. And it comes from this parable, which is part of a larger context, right? And you may know this, that, that this parable is part of a kind of a triple parable type of deal. So there's the story of the lost sheep, 
right? So the guy, uh, shepherd has 100 sheep, one leaves, and he goes looking for the lost sheep, right? And then after that, there's the parable of the lost coin. So there's a woman, and she has 10 coins. She loses a coin, and she goes looking. She turns the house over looking for this coin. And then you have the lost son. And, and when you teach these in succession, and as one sermon together, you get to the parable of the lost son, and say, well, and the father doesn't really go looking for the lost son. He more, he sits on the fence post and he's looking for him, but he stays there. He doesn't go out looking for him. And, and, I, and I have taught that. But then this just jumped out at me, verse 28. It says, his father came out and entreated him talking about the older son. His father went out to the older son and he begged him to come back into the party. And you see, the father in this third parable does go looking. He goes looking for the older son. If you're here this morning and you're an older son, and you feel like I've been slaving away, I've been obeying everything, and it's just not much of a relationship, it's more of kind of rules and listening, God is coming to you and saying, I want you in this relationship with me. We're going to end this morning in a little bit of a different way. And what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of a, a read and response in a sense of who God is. Because I want this truth about who God is to really settle into our hearts. And so part of that is speaking God's truth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay? And Aaron, can we put the first one up here? And so you'll notice on the screen that there's a line, and then there's a space, and then there's a line below. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read the first line, and each of these, the first line will be something that is not true of God, and then the second line, all of them begin with my heavenly Father is, and then a truth about who God as our Father really is, okay? So I'll read the first line, and then you as a congregation will will read the second line, and there's, uh, I believe, ten truths about God, okay? God is not distant and uninterested in me. God is not insensitive and uncaring. God is not stern and demanding. God is not passive and cold. God is not absent and too busy for me. God is not impatient, angry, and never satisfied with me. God is not mean, cruel, and abusive. God is not take, excuse me, God is not trying to take all the fun out of life. God is not controlling and manipulative. God is not condemning or unforgiving. God is not nitpicking and a demanding perfectionist. God is not disappointed in me. 
you know, the story of the older son ends with a question mark. It never says whether the older son walked back in and joined the party or whether he walked back out in the fields away from his father. And I think that Jesus told the parable that way because it leaves us with this question mark. It leaves us with this question mark of what will you do with that? Will you pursue who God is in the truth of who he is? Or you keep living under this expectation of a false and oppressive and foreman-like God. My prayer is that we would live in the freedom of a God who loves you all the time and in all of these ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this parable, for the teaching that you give us, and thank you that you are our Father. You're not a taskmaster, you're not a foreman, but you are a heavenly Father who loves us intimately as who we are. And you desire to be with us. And Lord, may our hearts be drawn to be with you, that we might be set free from the many yokes that are upon us and live in the freedom that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.